Yo Gorillas, welcome to the Athlete Insider Podcast by Gor Nation. My name is Phil and today's guest is the statics beast from the Netherlands, the medical student Yad Muhammad. I'm really looking forward to this interview about calisthenics programming. So yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Super awesome to be here. Huge fan of Gor Nation and uh, super stoked to do this interview. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, awesome words already. That makes me happy. Um, so today the focus should be really about uh, your questions uh, on uh, that you post on uh, on Instagram. We received a lot of questions about calisthenics programming. You're somebody with a lot of a lot of knowledge and a lot of uh, like interesting insights into the sport. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to and super thankful that you share this uh, with us today. Of course, anytime. I'm very curious to the questions. Awesome. So uh, yeah, before we start with the content, maybe you want to share a little bit about your background. Who are you? Uh, where do you have all the, the knowledge about calisthenics and what do you do? Okay, uh, so uh, let me make that long story short. Uh, I've been doing calisthenics for almost 11 years. Uh, the reason why I studied medicine was because of calisthenics. I was super obsessed, like most of you listeners probably are and I uh, eventually wanted to learn even more, so I decided to become a doctor. And in a few months, that quest is finally done, so in October I'll finally be a full-fledged medical doctor. And in this six years of studying, I've primarily looked at calisthenics from a scientific point, so I looked at the biomechanics, you know, at the anatomy of the muscles, but I've also looked at the sports science, which is a big field. So something that we're gonna talk about today, programming, periodization, Uh, recovery fatigue and that's something I've thrown myself into and uh, now that I'm finishing this uh, medicine uh, study hopefully I can eventually specialize in sports medicine with a super specialization in calisthenics and gymnastics and strength sports in general so that's something I I hope that I can help the world with because I feel like there's a lot of questions that can be answered easily but there's no one that actually addresses them in a organized matter. So I, I hope I can help people with that because I've made a lot of mistakes in these 11 years, trust me. And um, I've, I've developed myself to, uh, I'm proud of myself as a calisthenics athlete for what I've achieved in this training career. Wow. Super cool. And this is why I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, so you already said like 11 years of calisthenics, which is a super long time. Yeah. Um, can you share us a little bit? Um, how was your journey? How did it go? Like uh, maybe already show some small mistakes that you did along the way. Why uh, yeah. Why you, you could could be like uh, in, a, in a like in an even more pro progress version of yourself uh, if you would have like known what you know today. Yeah, so uh, something, um, the reason why I started Castanix was, was because of the planche. And I feel like a lot of people are super obsessed with the planche, and I was the same. And I, when I started off, the, it took me six years before I got the full planche. And that was because I was just not, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, and I wasn't super gifted when it came to the planche. On the other side, I had the front lever, which is something I didn't even care about, and it took me like a year to get it. So you can clearly see there was a, this balance in the thing I was interested in and the thing I was actually good at. So in this career, the first few years, I was super obsessed with the full planche, didn't get it. Uh, I got to the straddle planche fairly quick, so two years, and the full front lever I got like after a year. And then uh, eventually uh, I got injured multiple times, my wrists, my elbows got overworked, shoulder injuries, and 
uh, so quick quick reason why that was is because I didn't know what I was doing I didn't know how recovery worked and as I reached the six years I finally got my full planche and I immediately lost it because I started spamming it because you see on YouTube all these planche athletes doing it constantly but that's not realistic so that's one of the things I eventually learned and then I got it back again and then I got like a bunch of other injuries and all of that can be related to uh, knowing the capacity of your body you know your body has a finite amount of recovery and you need to know that recovery rate and once you know that there's a lot to gain so right now the things I'm proud of the milestones I've reached uh, I, I can do a fairly good Victorian on the ring so I'm super proud of that I've done a 50 second full front lever so I'm also super proud of that uh, when it comes to planche I only got 10 seconds I say only but if you compare it to the full front lever which is really up there the full planche is not that impressive as if you relate it to I'm not saying full planche isn't impressive but if you relate it to the full front lever it's not that great and then one on pull ups I got like 10 one on pull ups uh, which is something I didn't primarily focus on uh, so if I wanted to increase that I can also give tips in this podcast on how to actually improve something like that and I think those are the things that that really stand out uh, when you look at me. If you look at me as a Kassangs athlete, I'm more of a static one, and uh, I'm, I'm a pull athlete who is obsessed with push but gifted the pull. <laughs> so that's a basic uh, j- journey of my a basic summary of my journey as a Kassangs athlete. Nice. So like jumping into this thing because uh, people usually in this podcast listen uh, who listen to this podcast are uh, they hear like one athlete says yeah like I'm a pull athlete like the other says no I'm more push athlete what does it mean to be a pull or push athlete what what's the thing what's the meaning behind it so the meaning is um, this is quite difficult question if you look at the best Planchers, and you look at the best full front lever people, and uh, there's a, f- a friend of us, of you and me, Franks, is actually doing a study on this. Um, we notice that some people are just inherently better at doing pull movements. Uh, people who are quicker at achieving the full front lever, people who are quicker at doing one on pull ups, these people just seem to uh, be more natural at that. And on the other hand, you have people who are pushers have a very hard time doing pull movements but then on the other side they're great at pushing they're doing handsome push-ups as if if it's nothing uh, full planches come in very easy and of course there's something in between the mixed type these are people who are like right in the middle uh, they can be either great in both or bad at both <laughs> um, and the reason for that is probably because of uh, genetic variation which could be muscle insertions it can be the side, the length of your of your uh, limbs. It can also be how the joints connect. Uh, for example, if we look at something that's very well studied, powerlifters, we can see that Asian uh, powerlifters have a very different type of hip joint compared to people from Africa. Uh, it's it's just a to- it's night and day. It's as if it's not the same hip. Uh, the same can be true for, of course, calisthenics athletes, and that's what we mean: someone who is b- more genetically gifted towards the pull and there's people who are more who are more generically gifted towards push and then there's the in between so that's kind of what i mean when i say you're more of a pusher you're more of a puller mm-hmm. yeah and you already like teasered it a little bit we're part of a project with our uh, like friend uh, frinks eric from frinks movement uh, to like bring some clarity and some uh, data into this uh, topic so i'm also really looking forward to the results yeah. of this 
Um, yeah, so um, maybe you can share a little bit how was your journey as a, as a pool person who uh, fell in love with the push movements? Um, how did you handle this? Um, how did you like, uh, how did it influence you in your, in your workouts? So uh, I was doing calisthenics primarily just for fun. I was just obsessed with the full planche. And then I think it was around the fifth or sixth year that I woke up in the morning and I did a full front lever max hold because I was just curious. I was like, hey, how long can I hold this for? At the time, the world record was held by Lexa Steele, who had like a 53 second, I think. And I woke up in this morning, totally not warmed up, all my rings in my bedroom back then. Uh, I think I was... 1920 or something i did a full front lever and i had 43 seconds a movement that i had not pursued a movement that i didn't even maintenance that hard it was just something i would do every now and then at that moment i realized i was gifted at that moment i realized maybe i should take calisthenics even more serious i was training really hard but at this point i made a switch in my mind i was like yo i'm actually really good at this i'm very gifted i should be doing something with this and besides i'm obsessed with it anyway so that was the turning point for me. I think around the fifth, sixth year when I said, this is serious now, this is, this is my life, this makes me happy, uh, and, and I'm actually good at it. And I think I know enough to help people with. And I, th I think I'm able to teach people this and improve the field. So that's kind of the journey, what it, what it meant for me to be a, a pooler. So even though I didn't fall in love with pool, which I, I love it now, but back then I didn't realize, that moment when I did, that full from labor in the morning changed the way I thought about calisthenics and what it meant for me as an athlete, but also as a doctor. True. Super interesting. And um, how, like, what what mistakes do you see nowadays? Like when you and during these eleven days, uh, eleven days, eleven years uh, that you're <laughs> doing calisthenics, yep. uh, what mistakes do you see people doing in their uh, like planning of the workouts, planning of their weeks, planning schedules? Uh, yeah. So something that I uh, often see is that people are overestimate how much they can recover. Um, the thing is, for example, um, people who practice statics, for example, uh, have a lot of straight arm movements. And a lot of people don't realize that, for example, when you're doing a planche, multis, iron cross, there's a lot of passive tissue in your elbows that needs time to recover. I'm talking about ligaments, but also about tendons. And something that I think a lot of people don't uh, consciously think about is that there's a limited capacity. Muscle tissue recovers fairly fast because there's a lot of blood that goes towards those tissues. But uh, ligaments or, or just connective tissue, so also tendons, there's a lot less of that going on. Meaning it takes a lot more time for those tissues to adapt. And you need adaptation so that it becomes stronger. Adaptation basically means that that tissue adapts to the stress that you're putting on it. So what a lot of athletes do is they suddenly start doing more of something. So one week they're doing only one planche and then suddenly they start doing it four or five times a week. And what that does is you're adding so much stress, your connective tissue is like, okay, cool, I'm gonna adapt to this. But then you're doing it again in the next week and then again in the next week. And it needs six weeks a minimal. And that, that's based on studies, it's like six, 12 weeks. and if you're not giving it that time, you're only damaging it. So you're damaging it, it doesn't get to recover. You're damaging it even more, it doesn't get to recover. You damage it even more, it doesn't get to recover. And at a certain point, it just breaks. It doesn't like tear, sometimes it tears. We see some bicep tendon tears and stuff. 
uh, and then you're basically destroying that that tendon. And I'm not saying people, uh, you know, be afraid. I'm just saying be aware that when you're increasing volume. So now we're talking concretely about volume. When we increase volume, be aware of what you're actually taxing in your body. If you're doing straight arm movements, don't just go out. Don't do a lot of adding volume out of nowhere. Also, when it comes to planche push-ups, for example, you're in a very lean position. And then for the audio people, what I'm doing right now, I'm in a planche lean sort of, and then I'm pushing out. That's a lot of tension on your elbow flexors. And those elbow flexors, you're repeatedly like putting tension, 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 which is fine if you're not doing too much of it out of nowhere. So for the people who do wanna like still practice full planche push-ups or straddle planche push-ups or tuck planche push-ups or advanced tuck push-ups, whatever, but they don't want to like over uh, overdo their elbow flexors, they can do like near lockouts. So some people are gonna hate me for this, but I'm just saying don't lock out. You know, just do a few reps like that. And for and then once a week, maybe do lockout. So you also practice that. And then after a while, after six weeks, do it twice a week. And not, there, of course, there's a cap at the, bo- at, the, uh, at the top. But the point that I'm trying to make is be aware that connective tissue takes lo- a longer time to actually recover. And be mindful of that. Don't just add volume to it. Like you have this new movement, don't just spam it. Don't do that. It's, it's the recipe for getting injured. And then one more thing, which is more um, general for every sport. Once you've rested or you haven't done a movement for a while, don't immediately go back to the old level. So let's say I took a deload week. It doesn't mean I can do everything I did the week before. I need to build up again. Respect that. Respect the volume you've done. You can't just go in like that. And if you got injured and you're now like, oh, I feel good, don't go full. Take your time, build up again. Because again, all those tissues need time to adapt to the level that you've built up, built it up to. Mm-hmm. So that those are the two main things I see calisthenics athletes totally, well, not totally, but they, they're not consciously thinking about this. And I think if they do, a lot more injuries are like prevented by doing that. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's uh, like super valuable. Um, and it's definitely true. I didn't know about like, I, it's a super interesting thing about the not locking out. Um, and I think that's like one difficulty I also see as an athlete is there are so many things that so many information pieces that are flying around and you need to assemble them and uh, somehow put them into into one workout because yeah. you everybody's limited with their time even though even if you can take um, three or four hours of your day and put it into workout and recovery and everything it's still difficult to assemble all the stuff that you hear about deload weeks and um, uh, rest yeah. and like um, yeah a lot of volume a lot of like um, intensity etc so how would you approach this whole topic of calisthenics programming and putting it all into one schedule that fits your goals that fits your lifestyle Mm -hmm. how would you approach it with the knowledge that you have today so there's a a bunch of ways to actually approach calisthenics training and depending on your goals there's a bunch of things you can do Um, there's no one-size-fits-all program but something that generally works is you have to be aware. So first off, you need to write down your goals. You need to be like, what movements do I want? And you can't have every movement at a, like all together at once. You need to prioritize. So look at the major movements. Now let's say you're a static guy and I'm also a static guy. And then let's look at our body. We're like, okay, the elbows, 
they, they have a certain capacity, my shoulders have a certain capacity, my wrists have a certain capacity. You know, let's look at all of that. You look at the prime movers and a lot of people have the full planche in mind as the end goal. A lot of people have the full front lever in as the end goal and they probably have like hands and push-ups or one on pull-ups in there too or, or iron cross, etc. Make a decision. Choose like one push, one pull that you're going to focus on. Don't do them all at once. Just take your time. You know, we're not rushing towards anywhere. Then once you've identified those muscles, uh, those, uh, those uh, movements, look at the muscles they're actually using. So for example, with planche, we know there's a huge delt component, there's a huge chest component, but also a lot of people don't know, huge, huge, huge bicep component. Of course, also triceps, but the biceps are completely neglected. You're like, why? My arms are locked, so shouldn't that be triceps? Well, your elbows, so for the people who are listening, what I'm showing is that I'm locking my elbows. And so gravity works like this. Your elbows are being pulled down. So your elbows have the they want to actually overextend and break but what your bicep does is like nah -uh, I do this and they do it isometrically so you that's why gymnasts have huge biceps dude that's why because we we lock out our arms they lock out their arms and they're able to not break their arms because of those huge biceps so identify those muscles then train them you can train them first if you're if you're a skinny dude you don't have a lot of muscle you need to make sure you have muscle before you work on the planche so you can chest what do you do you can work on push-ups you can work on dips maybe if you are also a gym guy you can do some bench press also if you want to you don't have to but as long as those muscles grow and then you look at the elbows etc you grow all of them okay now we've got that component down next step and you can do this simultaneously now you need to learn how to planche so what do you do you have a skill work so what we talked about now was basic strength now we talk about skill work Skill work is actually doing the movement you want for want to do. It's the most specific movement to the end goal. In this case, for a full planche, that would be like a planche lean or maybe a planche with resistant bands. So you practice that like one time a week in the beginning and you do like a lean, you hold it for 10 seconds and you do that like two, three times. Then the next, like in four weeks, you add another set in that entire week. So now you have a second day where you're doing planche. But now you're not adding set, you're adding day of planching. And then after another four weeks, you're adding a third. And I would stop at three, four times. Three is like, four is really pushing it. So I would have three. And now you have like a pretty nice program for planche. And you need to do the same for, full, for front lever. And now you just already have a pretty general program. It's a very basic program, but it works. And it works because it's a safe, safe way of doing it. And obviously in every strength sport, there's one principle in the middle called progressive overload. Progressive means just progressing and overload means adding more load. So you need to make a movement always harder the, the, the next time you do it. So you can do that either by adding more reps or you can do it by adding more weight or by making the exercise harder. So for example, let's say I'm doing eight to 12 reps for something. I do like dips. Let's say I'm doing 50 kilo dips. I get eight, nine, I get eight reps uh, the first time and then at the second set I also get eight reps the next week I try to get like nine at least nine nine maybe I get ten ten maybe I get eleven eleven if I hit the twelve twelve I add some more weight so that's one way of approaching it there's hundreds of ways of approaching it this is a very basic way of approaching it if you choose the side of going fully calisthenics and you're not adding weight but you're making the exercise more difficult so this is just a step side step be aware 
by making a movement difficult, so let's say you're doing from tuck planche, you're going to advanced tuck, be aware, now you're adding more to this. So you need to do that slowly. So don't replace all your tuck planches with advanced tuck, replace one set first. After four, four, four weeks or six weeks, replace another set with advanced tuck. That's the safe way. It's super conservative, I, I am aware of that, but it's the safe way of progressively overloading when you're uh, making the exercises more difficult. Now, it's, it's very hard to answer this question in a very organized way because there's a lot that comes into it, but I hope I can give like an idea of how you should be thinking of training. It's really not difficult. You have muscles, they need to be bigger, and once they're bigger, you need to learn the movement that you're doing. The, the hard part is knowing how much time in between and how you're going to do progressive overload. And you can read all about progressive overload. It's not a calisthenic specific thing. It's a strength specific thing. And a lot of books cover this. And a lot of uh, YouTube videos cover this. Type in progressive overload, learn about it, and you're probably gonna learn a lot. Just note that's in the center. No progressive overload, there's no improvement. So I, I know I'm talking a little bit from all sides, but I hope to give like an idea of what you be, should, should be thinking about when you're doing, when you're setting up a program. Definitely. I really like the idea of like having a certain capacity per joint uh, and per uh, like uh, to, to, and th this capacity you have to distribute on, on your goals. Yeah. And if you uh, like select too many goals, you have like, you don't have enough capacity per, per skill and per goal that you can, uh, uh, yeah. Exactly. Ask the joint. Of and, and I want to say one more thing. When you're selecting your goals, there are some movements you shouldn't select in my opinion. Back lever should never be a goal. Why? Back lever puts almost as much pressure on your elbows as a Maltese. Mm -hmm. So by doing back lever in your training, you're already draining your elbows and you don't have any time to do anything else. So you're already done. And, and, and back lever, and you probably know this too, is something you get for free when you work on planche. So just do your planche training. And after a while, you get a back lever for free without practicing it. But if you practice specifically for it, back lever doesn't really translate well to other movements, and it drains your elbows so fast. Human flag is another one of those movements. If it's your end goal, fine, you can do it. But if it's something, if your goals are higher than that, you'll get it for free. Don't worry about it. Don't waste your time on a movement like that. You'll get it for free. I, I trust, I, like, believe me, you will get it for free. So movements like back lever and human flag, I'm not a huge fan of because they don't serve a big purpose in the end goal if that's not your end goal. You know, you know what mm. I mean? That's, that's, that's why I always say, look at the capacity, back lever just destroys your elbows. There's no need to do it. It doesn't destroy, I don't wanna be negative about it, but I'm just saying it takes up so much capacity of your elbow. Do you really wanna spend like so much money on that elbow by doing a back lever? I wouldn't personally wanna do that. Yeah, but it's it's the same as in, in life in general. You have to decide for a few things. Like we, as a company, we have the motto for, for ourselves. We can do anything we want, but we can't do everything we want. And it's like um, perfect um, because you only have a limited time per day and you only have like a limited uh, time you can spend awake and stuff like that. And you just have to spend it wisely. And it's the same for, as, as you say, for joint capacity. And that's super, super interesting. And maybe also eye-opening for a lot of people because there are so many, like, and this is the beauty about our sport that you have like uh, 20 different push movements that you could learn, uh, 30 different pull movements. And like, there are so many things. It's like a video game where you don't know, know where to run in which direction, but you have to decide. Exactly. Yeah, 
You have to decide. Yeah. Um, how do I deal with? And this is something I just uh, realized when you talked about progressive overload. How do I deal with a bad day and maybe even a bad week? Like um, having like uh, slept, didn't sleep well, or at work we I have to work a lot and I don't feel good at after work. How do I manage mentally and physically uh, a day where I can't go up? Like and I should go up with progressive overload. Do I still go up That's and a just? Great yeah, maybe you can. That's a great question. So if it happens once in a week, don't worry about it. You just try your best and if you don't finish it, it's okay. Like don't be mad at yourself. If it happens the second time, you should be asking yourself a question. Am I overtraining? Am I like doing too much right now? Did I sleep enough? Did I eat enough? Is there something wrong in my training? Because chances are if you if you have it twice in a week and even and the third is like a definite then that's like done. that's there's something wrong. Um, you need to address that. So it could be that you're overtraining now and now it's time to do deload. And that's okay. Not, note that down. Write down for yourself. After how many weeks did I get tired? That's valuable information. Because next time you set up your program, you can look at that. If it's like after six, seven weeks, that's pretty good. You know, you can be like, oh, th that's nice. But if it happens after two weeks, you're doing something wrong. Your progressive overloads may be too fast or maybe you're not sleeping enough. So note that down. Note the reason down. Analyze it, look at yourself, be your own coach, you know, or discuss it with your coach. Look at the reasons, be like, yeah, you're right. You know what? I only slept five hours a week. Of course, I'm not going to make any progress. And that's another thing. A lot of people, sorry for another sidestep. A lot of people work so much on uh, recovery in the sense of like saunas, massages, etc. Uh, doesn't matter if you're not sleeping enough. You can do everything, everything you want. Does not even matter. It's, like it's it's only like 5% what you're trying to do. So if you're an elite, elite athlete, it matters. But the sleep, that's the most important because that's 50% or more. I'm just throwing percentages. I'm not, I don't have data for this, but it's so ridiculously important sleep. There's, I always say this, there are three pillars in, in the training that's important. You need to have good programming. If you don't have good programming, then you, it doesn't matter. And you need to have good nutrition. So you need to be eating enough or deficit if that's what you're planning for either way it needs to be good and three you need to be sleeping enough slash resting enough if one of these pillars falls you're not going to make progress treat every pillar as as equal as the other so you can't just be like all focused on amazing programming if your sleep is bad doesn't matter you can't be focused on sleep only if you're not training doesn't matter you can't be sleeping and, and, and training perfectly if you're not eating enough it doesn't matter. All these three things need to be checked before you can make your next step. Nothing else matters. Saunas doesn't matter. Ice bath doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you're improving your programming as long as all these three things aren't checked. So I see a lot of athletes there, they're like in, in the weekends, they start drinking alcohol and everything, which is fine. You don't have, like, I'm not saying don't do that, but be aware that you need to be sleeping enough. You need to be getting enough food. You need to be, uh, and you need to be training properly. Those three pillars, one of them falls, your whole foundation is off. Oh, and and that, the reason why I brought that up is because if you're having multiple bad days, then there's something wrong with those one of those three pillars. Mm -hmm. So that's what you should be doing once that happens. Analyze it, look at it, why? Interesting. How do I... Um manage to put like front lever and planche because these are the two most common skills that people ask for um how do i combine these two into a one workout program like into one week um 
can you tell us more about like uh, even if you like when you picked uh, the, your three exercise one push one pull I don't know what the third was mm -hmm. um, but if you uh, decide for these like how do I combine these into one week so the, the beauty about planche and front lever is they're sort of like opposites um, meaning you can even superset them so you can practice them within the same day but if you want you can split them you can have a full front lever day and you can have a full planche day so that's the beauty about it What you should be thinking of is, <clears throat> first you need to know, do I have, again, like I said, do I have enough muscles? Because if you don't, you need to be working on the basic strength. So you need to have a pull day, and you need to have a push day. Or you can combine them, because again, they're, they're opposites. So you can actually do them at the same time. Something I do now myself, which isn't scientifically the most efficient way of training, but the reason why I do it is because I was injured and now I'm recovering, so everything works then. So I might as well do something that's fun is I do three full body basic strength days. Uh, on, the, on the Tuesday, I do a two, uh, eight to 12 rep range day where I do horizontal push. So that can be bench press push-ups or planche push-ups, something that's as, as long as it's horizontal push. I have a vertical push movement that can be overhead press, hands and push-ups or anything that's overhead. I have a vertical pull that can be one on pull-ups, weighted pull-ups or just normal pull-ups or lat pull-downs. And I have a horizontal pull, which is like rows, whether that's front lever row or cable row, anything. And I hit those four, <clears throat> and I do that on the Tuesday for eight to 12 reps. On the Wednesday I do, or, or Thursday, depends on how days go, I do 20 to 25 reps. And on the Friday or Saturday, I do two to five reps. And the reason why I do that is one for fun. It's, it's just really fun of training. It works. And, um, and then, in between these days, I have skill days where I practice from lever, full front lever. I look at my form. I try and max hold. I do Victorians. I try to fix my false grip, maybe reduce false grip. I look at my planche. I, again, film it. Make sure my hips are straight. If they're not straight, like why is that happening? Try to improve it. Try to do presses. And that's what I'm doing in between these days. So for me right now, the main goal is getting my muscles back. But at the same time, also reintroducing these movements. What I'm going to do afterwards is I'm going to kick off one of these strength days, probably going to be the 8 to 12 day, and I'm going to add another one of those skill days. That's how I do it. Mm -hmm. Again, 100 ways of doing it. This is not the most efficient way that I'm doing it. I used to do it more efficiently, uh, but this is one of the ways. And for most people who are listening to this, you're not uh, a world champion or anything. Like, there's only a few world champions. Um, so don't worry. We're talking all these little details that we're talking about. They're slightly better than the other. We're talking about maybe two, three percent, which for you as an athlete isn't huge, but for the world champs, of course, it's huge. For so for the majority of the people listening, all these other details don't really matter. You can you, you can't screw this up. Uh, so full front lever and full planche can be easily combined in a program. They're, they're, it's actually beautiful to do that. But when you have multiple pushes, that's when you need to be thinking, hey. I have multiple pushes that I'm pushing for. When I planche, when I do planche training, I always have overpress because you need to make sure that you're balanced in all. That's why I said horizontal push, horizontal pull, mm -hmm. horizontal pull, uh, vertical push, vertical pull. Always make sure you cover all of them, but the focus is on one of them, like more on one of them. 
So I hope I answered that question a little Definitely. bit. Definitely. Are these days... Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. Uh, are these days yeah. uh, where you do the skills, uh, are these also like fully structured? Because you said that you play a little with your false grip and stuff like that. Are these yeah. days um, like structured? Do we have like, I have to do 10 sets of uh, front lever, 80% uh, hold? Or like, are these more for fun and you just listen to your body? So I used to do extremely structured and I recommend everyone to do that if you haven't been training for five plus years. Um, so I used to be like very, very rigorous. I would be like, okay, I need to do a planche progression that I can hold for at least six seconds, but max 10 seconds. And I do two sets this week. In two weeks, I'm gonna do, a th in four weeks, I do a third set. And I only go max four sets in total. That's how I used to do it. Um, and, and I would note down everything and I would write down, I would look at the previous week and I, if I would see it would decline, I would be like, hey, why is it declining? And I would look at the pillars and et cetera, et cetera. Right now, because I'm training for 11 years, I know my body really well. So I know what my capacity is. Um, and, and you'll notice that people who have been training for very long can do this. But again, beginners cannot do this. Even if you can already full Maltese, you're one of those freaks that, that has been able to do that within a few years, you don't know your body as well. It's because you don't, you didn't have the experience. It's impossible to learn your body, to know how your body works like that. So it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's something you just learn when time comes. So for everyone listening probably, is I would recommend note down. And like I said, bear in mind there's progressive overload when something is locked, be aware of how much adaptation there can be. And just try to progressively overload, try to hold it longer and longer. Once you've had, hit the 10 seconds, for example, add a harder progression. If you can't, try to find a mid progression, build it up again, and just etc, etc, etc. That's one way of approaching it. When you start with your exercises, like, um, of course, you have the prioritization of the of your goals. So for example, for you, like front lever is more important than planche, um, or other way around. But with what exercise, especially when you talked about supersets, um, with what exercise do you start? Like, um, as an example, I can do the one arm pull up with my right side, but uh, on the left side, I'm stuck at like something around 75% and I can't get my chin over the bar. Um, but for me, my goal is to be balanced, to not create any disbalances, to fix uh, stuff like that. So do I start with the left side um, or do I, do I like do the right side first? So I don't have any uh, like data on this. This is just me doing what I do. And I'm also very OCD for keeping things very uh, symmetrical. Start with the weak side, then match with the strong side. So that's that's a simple way of doing unilateral things. Mm -hmm. When it comes to prioritization of like uh, which movements you're interested in, start with the movement you're most interested in. And then at the end of the workout, do the ones that you're you know a little bit less interested in. There is a... Uh, there, there is though, I don't do this. I'm more interested in planche, but I still start with pull-ups first. Why? Because I notice that when I do pull-ups first, my shoulders are better warmed up and my push movements do better. So there are some re some exceptions to, the, to this rule, but generally you wanna be moving, starting with the thing you're actually most interested in. But again, if, if pulls feel better in the beginning, just do pulls first. You know, it's, 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 and, and again, these differences don't matter that much in the grand scheme of things. Uh, at the end, if you're still doing progressive overload, once you've completely rested, so you've had a deload, you will still be very strong when you're rested. So like, um, what, what I mean with that sentence is, 
even though you are always weaker because you're doing these movements later on in your training, once you're rested, you've still added the same amount of stimuli every week and every week in this weaker state. So eventually, even though it's a little bit less efficient, you will still have very good results when you're completely peaked out, ready for competition. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for a uni... So sequence doesn't matter that much. Okay, okay that's that's good to know. Uh, for unilateral sk skills or moves like, like the one on pull-up or also like human flag, um, mm -hmm. when I have like one weaker side and I want to uh, create the balance and I don't manage to do the move and the skill 100% with the weaker side, is it more intelligent and more smart to do, for example, the left side with a resistance band and the right side uh, like without? Or like, how do I fix these disbalances? Because I see a lot of uh, athletes who also fee feel like um, the, the results of like not being balanced in a straddle planche, mm -hmm. which is like um, uh, tending to, to go to one side and stuff like that. So um, how do I fix um, fix these uh, disbalances so first of all be aware that uh, asymmetry is very normal and there's a chance that it will forever be there actually it will always probably be forever there so it's, you can't completely fix it and I wouldn't over having that bearing that in mind I would just not make it too complicated just try to do the weak side first and always match with the strong side so your strong side is going to be under stimulated most of the time Eventually, that will be brought a little bit more in the middle, but there's a huge chance and it's very likely that the strong side will always be the strong side, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a reason why we have a strong side. That's just how our bodies work. We are not symmetrical beings. Symmetrical beings. We, we like to be, but we're not, and that's okay. For movements like flange, which is, a very, which is like a, a bilateral movement, just look, film yourself. Try to make corrections, and if it doesn't hurt, and if it's like acceptable, like within within like uh, the margin of error, don't don't like overanalyze it. Don't get uh, over obsessed. If it doesn't cause any problems, and only you notice it, maybe it's not that important. Okay. Just enjoy your plan. You know, <laughs> be happy that you can plan. Nice. Okay. Cool. So in the beginning, um, switching topics now, you talked about, uh, you said that most people don't know how recovery works. Um, so my question now is, how does recovery work? What, uh, what's, your, uh, what's your advice on that? So in a nutshell, what happens, this is very, very uh, simplified. Uh, let's take the muscle tissue, for example. You do a movement that's stimulus. Stimulus causes like microfiber, uh, uh, micro, um, micro tears in, in, in the fibers. And so what your body thinks is, hey, we need to repair that. And there's probably coming more of that, more of that coming sooner. So you recover. So stimulus, now you recover. You, you rest, you rest, takes a few days. Your body adapts. That's the third step, adaptation. Your body fixes those micro uh, uh, fibers and even makes them stronger than before. So now you have those tears, they're, they're improved, they're even stronger, and they're ready for the next one. What do you do? You're like, okay, whatever, I'm gonna add more weight. Another tear. Your body's thinking, okay, shit, another tear. Repeat the process, you rest, you adapt. When does it go wrong? Is when you start doing the stimulus again before the adaptation happens. So here's the, here's the, well, I'm not gonna, because they're audio listens. So you have the, st the stimulus again, uh, it, the tear is there, 
And now you're doing the stimulus again. You didn't recover yet. So now the tear is even deeper. Your body's like, hey, 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 calm down, calm down. And now you're doing it again. So the tear is even deeper. And now a micro tear starts actually having effect on how the muscles work. Now you're injuring your body. Muscles have a very short curve. Stimulus, recovery, adaptation curve, we call that in, this, in the sports uh, principle. So this is actually a, 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 um, a term that's used in sports science when we describe how adaptation works when stimulus recovery is adaptation. And that curve for connective tissue is much longer. That's why I mentioned the six weeks. It's not exact, but for, for uh, connective tissue, it takes six weeks. And so what periodization, like periodization is, is a method of um, having periods of different kinds of training. What smart people do when they do periodization is they look at the curve and they try to pl plan around it. Six weeks, I'm not saying do a plan just and wait six weeks and do it again. You're gonna do stimulus again when the recovery happens. There's th that's just how life works. And you're gonna keep doing it so the curve goes down, 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 down. At some point you need to be like, now I'm gonna do deload. So the curve can come all the way back up, now it's recovered and you can start over again. So that, that that's an important thing. Uh, when you have the stimulus recovery adaptation thing, it's important that you don't do too much stimulus, but also not too little stimulus. So you're always going down with the curve when you're doing training. So you're always not recovering slight, just enough. And after six to 12 weeks or something, it really depends on the type of training. You need to do deload. Once you've done the deload, now you've fully recovered. And now you can start the process over again. People who don't do the deload and will keep pushing and pushing and pushing, keep going down, 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 down. They never get enough recovery. They get injured. So that's kind of how recovery works. So it's again, just, just to uh, make this uh, very disorganized story organized. You have stimulus, which is the training. You have the recovery, which is the resting time. You have adaptation, which is improving whatever that was stimulated. And as you train, it goes, you get more damage than damage. And after a while, you need to take a week, like a week break, and then you come back again. And if you train biceps every freaking day, that's way too short. Within a week, you will tear your biceps. On that, probably not tear, but you will have so much pain that you didn't recover enough. And if you do too much of it, like within weeks, like three, 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 which is out of nowhere, again, you go down so fast, you're doing probably too fast of everything. So you need to be rethinking, look at the pillars, etc., etc. So that, that's kind of how recovery works in a very nutshell. Mm -hmm. It's that curve. And if you can, you can look this up, if people are interested, look up stimulus recovery adaptation curves, SRA curves. Mm -hmm. Just look that up. It's, it's a very well described principle. Uh, Mike Isatel has it also in his book, who, is, uh, who has a PhD in, in, in sports science. And he also describes this for powerlifting, but powerlifting is also a strength sport. And so is calisthenics. It's not that different. The only difference is exercise selection. Wow. Super cool. Um, super interesting. And I really feel this is the bottleneck for a lot of athletes out there. Like um, they want to um, s invest time and like energy into the sport and into their professional, like into their sports career. Um, but like being disorganized and not having this, um, this information, it can easily t uh, like lead to injuries and to, um, yeah, to not an effective investment into your, your sports career. So, Super, super interesting, really. 
Um, something that goes along maybe with this topic and uh, was also like um, a, a frequent question when we did the Instagram survey before before this interview was um, muscle inflammation. So we also had like a, an elite athlete um, asking uh, you in in the in the Instagram poll um, what how do I in uh, like avoid and also cure afterwards like muscle inflammations? Um, yeah. Muscle inflammation has a very negative tone towards it, uh, and it's actually a very positive thing. Without inflammation, we can't improve. That that adaptation part is actually uh, done by your immune immune system. That that's actually the, the system that makes sure there is adaptation. There, there's been multiple studies on pi people taking ibuprofen, which is a non-steroid anti-inflammatory drugs. These people who take that chronically, and I think it was above 200 milligrams, you need to have at least that until you see this effect that I'm going to describe, is they don't have any muscle growth when they're training, or at least it, it decreases by a lot. So people who chronically take anti-inflammatory uh, stuff have a lot less progression. So when I think of muscle inflammation, it sounds very negative, but it's actually essential to training. I'm not, I'm, I, I don't know what... Uh, what he means with muscle inflammation, but I think what he means is that he's just not recovering enough. And that's the pain, the delayed onset muscle soreness, which is a sign that you just haven't recovered enough. Um, but muscle inflammation is essential for adaptation. And a lot of people don't know that it's, it's very essential. So don't try to take, uh, for example, ice baths is something that's also done frequently, but we say to see the exact same thing. When you do ice baths, there's less adaptation. It's actually not a good idea to do to do ice baths if you're trying to improve. Ice baths are great though for if you're doing competition after competition after competition. When you're doing a competition routine, you're not doing that routine so that you become stronger the next time. You're doing it to show off. You know that that's the purpose. So then it's okay to do an ice bath so that you can do it again the next time so you don't get injured. But it's not a good idea to do it regularly after a workout because it's going to prevent you from actually adapting. The, the whole adaptation that you're working so hard for, it's not happening anymore. So I hope, I hope that kind of answers what I, what I think about when, it, when someone says muscle inflammation. Definitely, so stuff you can do uh, about it, um, stuff that still brings uh, like progress would be some uh, nutrition. I think this is something how you can uh, like... Uh... Yeah, so, that, that, so yeah, so the, how can you improve Recovery, because that's the actual question. So how can you improve recovery? It's the three pillars. Nutrition, mm -hmm. get enough nutrition in, which means getting enough protein in, getting enough calories in. And if you're cutting, be aware. That also means your recovery is less good. Mm -hmm. So when you're cutting, change your program. You're, you're now recovering less, be aware. If you're not, then that's fine, you know? But nutrition needs to be good. You need to be sleeping enough. Sleep also make sure that you're do adapting faster because that's what's happening so you're recovering faster and good programming so making sure it's paced out perfectly or not perfectly good enough so that it's not like you're doing it five times a week uh, bicep curls mm -hmm. like that's how you can improve muscle inflammation but again muscle inflammation is a good thing we need that you need to recover your recovery so you can do this faster nice and, and that's the that's how you can do it awesome Wow, 
Like uh, I learned so much in this uh, this interview, like in this podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for sharing so so openly and so honestly. So um, yeah, I still prepared some some quick questions um, for the end of the interview. Um, it's not that quick questions, quick answers like we usually do, but I thought like of some some questions that I think are super interesting um, because they are questions who are like asked really frequently maybe you say it's a it's a stupid question um to, there are no stupid questions but there are like questions <laughs> who uh who have to, who, who could have asked like differently anyways i will just ask them um hey Yad, yeah. what's the best exercise for planche <clears throat> so that's a question i often get um I mentioned earlier in this in this podcast that there's m multiple factors when it comes to planche. There's the uh, basic strength aspect, which is purely made to increase the muscle mass, and then there's the aspect of actually learning the movement. So there, so the inherently, I can't say there's one exercise. Um, and then there's the individual aspect. So for some people, bench press is excellent for for planche. For some people, it sucks. It's the worst exercise for planche. So. To answer this question, you need to find out for yourself what the best thing is. For the skill part, I can give a good recommendation though. For the skill part, you want to do something that's as close to the end goal as possible. So when you're doing full planche, you should be thinking of a full planche lean. But also you need to add a movement that actually requires balancing. So maybe like a tuck planche, advanced tuck or shell planche. Something that requires balancing. Planche lean isn't the end all be all. It's a great exercise because it's the same lean angle, or at least it's getting close. And then you need the other one to actually learn the balancing. And then of course you need to work on the presses because that really helps. And you need to work on the pushes, then the push-ups. So, so it's no ex one exercise, mm -hmm. it's multiple exercises. So look at your basic strength, which is a very dumb movement. It can be bench press, it can be push-ups, something like that, or dips. And then look at the scale ones, which is like something like planche lean, but also an open movement, a balancing one, and some presses and some uh, push-ups. Cool. Um, so no one exercise. Yeah, true. Maybe we can still like um, answer this for front lever. Um, same same uh, things like um, one strength exercise, yeah. which can be uh, what can it be? Yeah, you can do rows, uh, so you can do like cable rows, or if you're a calisthenics athlete, you can do body rows, and if that's too easy, you do it with weight, and if you don't want to do weight, you can start doing advanced tuck rows or tuck, row, tuck front lever rows. So th that's a good way of doing the basic strength, and then for the specific one, if you want to be specific, you want to be doing like advanced tuck front lever. And there's also like a planche lean equal in front lever, you can put your legs against the, uh, like, a, like a bar or something, get into the position, and then slowly get your feet off. Also, it's like a planche lean, same principle. Uh, and then you have like, um, uh, of course, the open movement, just like, so you have the planche lean sort of, but then full front lever lean. And then you have like the tuck front lever, advanced tuck. And then you have the full front lever pull. And then of course, the full front lever pull, like row, mm -hmm. which can be done again in tuck, advanced tuck, which again can also be used as basic strength, but it can also use, be used as like a skill specific one. So sometimes there's overlap. It's not black and white, okay. but those are the exercises that I think of when 
when teaching someone someone. I don't know why I'm holding a pen. It, it uh, looks intelligent. Someone, uh, uh, full Damn, this looks yeah. looks looks so smart. Yeah, like you sh- could have you could have taken it like okay. <laughs> holding a pen. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's the most useful Calisthenics equipment that you know and that you use for for your own progress and for your uh, c- uh, clients' progress? Uh, maybe if I can rephrase the question, uh, if there's only one equipment I can bring with me mm-hmm. to an island, it would be rings because it's the minimal thing. You can do pull-ups, you can do dips to it, you can you can do every exercise you can imagine. It can all all, all be done on, on rings. So rings. Okay, cool. Um, what's the best warm-up advice that you have? For warm up, uh, it's very highly individualistic and also time specific. When I say time specific, I mean, are you injured now? Are you not injured? Are your shoulders feeling fine? If they're, are they not feeling fine? Um, for me, some days I do like a lot of shoulder rolls, etc. Some days I literally just sit down, I breathe in and out, and I visualize the movements and suddenly I'm warmed up. It's super weird. Like I can't describe it to people. I just sit down and I look at the movements and I'm like, yep. Ready, mm. and I can just start doing my stuff. Mm-hmm. That's that's sometimes how it works. It's very highly individualistic. You just need to make sure that there's there's um, a few things important about warm up. It shouldn't fatigue you too much, and it should just get you make you feel good so that you can do the movement. That's the two things it needs to be able to do. If you're doing freaking hundred push ups, etc., that that's too fatiguing. Mm-hmm. And if it, if you're doing something that doesn't even make you feel better at the end, then do something else. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's that's the two things that need to suffice. Nice. With. Uh, the same question for mobility, like uh, how important and what's your best advice about mo- mobility? How important is mobility is a good question. Uh, you need to have enough mobility so that you can do the movements you want to do. You don't need a split for a planche. You don't need a front split for a planche. You don't even need to be able to touch your toes for a planche. So if your goal is planche, then there's no mobility required. Maybe wrist mobility, but then again, you can do some P-bar planches and then you can reduce the wrist mobility. So look at your movement, look at what you need. If you're doing a lot of handstands, you know, just try to improve your overhead, like uh, your your shoulder uh, flexion. And if you're doing like full um, movements such as yeah, like I said, planche, working on your wrist, etc. So, and if you do mana, of course, then that's a whole different question. You know, then there's a lot of mobility you need to take in. But is mobility required? There's no evidence to suggest that mobility actually reduces the chance of getting injured, I think, as of now. Uh, that the last time I talked about this, like, was three years ago. I think back then there was no evidence. Maybe something changed. But there's no real evidence showing that you actually reduce the amount of injuries. There is, of course, some syndromes or some cases where uh, a muscle should be more stretched so that the balance of that joint is better. But mobility inherently, as a as a, like a very uh, isolated thing, doesn't necessarily uh, improve recovery or reduce injuries that much. Okay. So only do it if you need it. Okay. Nice. Awesome. Um, last question of the day. Uh, what's your general advice to the listeners? So what's something that you want to give to to, um, to the community? What's uh, something that you think um, everybody should know and be aware of? Uh, 
be aware that um, calisthenics is both complicated and easy. And when we look at a lot of these elite athletes, be aware that you're not them. Okay, so I can give you my front lever program that I did back then. And I guarantee you 90% of you guys won't get a full front lever because of that. And the problem with a lot of elite athletes that make programs is they teach you how they learned it. And the reason why they're elite is because they're genetic freaks. I am a genetic freak. I admit this. For full front lever, I am a genetic freak. Does that mean I can teach you full front lever? Yeah, because I, I acknowledged it. And I, I don't give you the same method that I would give to myself. Um, so be aware who you're talking to. There's no one size fits all. And what Viktor Kamenov does, uh, and, and I know that he actually teaches people not the way he does it, but he, he teaches like in a smart way. But what he did for his own training doesn't mean it works for you. Okay? What I did for front lever doesn't mean it works for you. Everyone is individualistic. Just hold these principles that we talked about today. Uh, tr maybe try to keep those central and I get there's a lot more that we could talk about but it's it's not that serious it's, it's like it's it's not that complicated um, all these improvements that, that we can talk about for hours and hours like you already covered 90% if you did if you do what we talked about today if you want that 10% because you're a world champion then okay then yeah then it is serious but chances are you're not that level and that's okay so it's not that complicated for most people that basically awesome thanks a lot for sharing really uh, i really appreciate it i really appreciate your your approach to the sport and uh, like talking about studies and uh, really the scientific way um, and also like looking for symmetries and stuff you, that you can learn from powerlifting and from gymnastics and other sports so uh, yeah um, big big thank you for your time uh, Yad I really uh, deeply appreciate thank it you. and I think people appreciate it a lot also especially those who stayed with us for such a long time in, in the interview um, so yeah before uh, we end the episode um, how can people get in touch with you how can they continue learning from you do you offer any coaching is there anything you can offer to, to the people I don't do any coaching now because I'm just way too busy um, you can follow me on uh, my Instagram which is Yad is weak for now it'll hopefully change one day to Dr. Yad uh, but for now it's Yad is weak but if you're listening after uh, to this after October it's probably Dr. Yad nice and um, uh, my plan is basically to work on my YouTube channel so you can type in my, my name Yad Mohammed and I, I really want to give to the community so I'm working on just a bunch of free content uh, where I teach the planche in detail, from lever in detail, and everything. But I, I'm just very busy, but it, that is my goal. So I'm trying to give as much back to the community as I can by making those videos. So it'll take a while, but hopefully I can I can do that. Um, so that's that's where you can find me. Awesome. We will put all the links in the description, no matter if you listen on, uh, on podcast platform or on YouTube, you will find all the links from Yard in the description. Thanks again uh, to you, Yad, for your time. Thanks to everybody listening to this till the end. I deeply appreciate everyone like uh, investing so much time into getting better, into uh, learning and um, improving. So yeah, big thank you. If you want to support the episode, give it a thumbs up. It helps a lot. And uh, apart from that, Yad, you can end the episode. And thanks again to you. Thank you, man. Have a good day. <laughs>